Today on Abounding Grace. God does not want to strengthen your weaknesses. He wants to become your strength. He wants to become your strength. You could even say it this way. God does not want to strengthen your weaknesses. He wants to weaken you to the point where he is your strength, where his grace is sufficient for you. This is amazing grace. This is Hey, happy Thanksgiving, and welcome to Abounding Grace. In a moment, we'll continue our study of 1 Peter, but before we do, Pastor Ed Taylor joins me in studio. And Ed, happy Thanksgiving to you and Marie. I think it's safe to say many are looking for strength in these difficult days, and you're about to show us that abiding in Christ is the place where we find the strength we need. Well, happy Thanksgiving to you too, Larry, and to everyone listening. Uh, We consider you to be a part of our church family here, Uh, and so happy Thanksgiving. We really do have a lot to be thankful for, and I was thinking, when we quote, be anxious for nothing, you know that passage, we almost always miss a word, at least I do. I don't know how you've memorized it, but I, I miss a word. Be anxious for nothing. But in all things, by prayer and supplication, make your requests, and it kind of goes on. But that's actually not what the text says. The text says, be anxious for nothing, but in all things, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I love it. I love it. And abiding in Christ, of course, is the place of strength. It is what gave Peter his strength. It is what the only place for us to be. It's not in a place of works, but a place of grace. Not in a place of human effort, but in a place of the finished work of Christ. So put on your seatbelt. The study through First and Second Peter, I'm telling you, is going to be incredibly relevant to the days in which we live. You'll be surprised, for those of you that haven't studied First Peter before, just how much connection we have with the first century believers that Peter wrote to. So I know the Spirit has a word for you. It's going to be great. And with that, let's dive right into today's Bible study. Again, we're in 1 Peter chapter 1. There are not three ways to to God. There's not five ways to God. Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the way. He's not a way. He's not some way. He is the way. So here at Peter has this revelation, bold. And Jesus answers, man, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And here's the verse, the key. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. 
on this rock I will build my church, Jesus says to Peter in response. And this has become one of the most confused passages in all the Bible because it has been co-opted by man-made religion. And it's made to say something it doesn't say. It's made to say by Roman Catholicism that Peter is the one that Jesus will depend upon to build his church. That the Son of God, God in human flesh, has conveyed all of his hope in Peter. And he'll be the one. And that's not what it says at all. The first thing I want you to notice that you cannot see in the English, but you can see in the original language, the New Testament written in the common Greek, that there is a play on words that Jesus has here in verse 18. In verse 18, uh, the first mention in verse 18 is the word Peter. Now, the word Peter in the Greek is Petros. And it literally means a small stone, like a stone that you would throw. Could even mean a pebble. Just means a little rock. He says, look, you Peter, you, you little rock. This, you Peter, listen, I say to you that you're a little rock. And on this rock, which is a different word, that's the word Petra. And that speaks of a cliff or an uncut stone, a massive singular stone. Hey, look, little rock. Look, pebble. Good that Father revealed something to you, but I'm telling you it's on this solid rock that I'm going to build the church. And don't forget who Jesus said would build the church. Did he say man would build the church? Yes or no, church? Say it out loud online. Yes or no? Will man build the church? This church can't be built by man. We can never take away, or at least attempt to, it's not possible, but at least attempt to take with man's methods and methodologies to build something. Because man can build something, it just won't be the church. <laughs> man can build things on methodologies and church growth programs and all kinds of things. Man can move people, manipulate people. It's not the church. Because the real church of Jesus Christ is built by Jesus. And it wasn't built upon Petros, upon a little stone, upon a man. No, Jesus built the church upon the rock. And so we have to ask in context, what rock is the church built upon? And I suggest to you in context that the rock that the church is built upon, which is every single one of your lives, is the confession that Jesus Christ is the Savior, the Son of God. That's how you were changed. You became the church when you were born again. And you were born again when you, when you confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's the foundation of your life. The foundation of your salvation cannot be this church. It cannot be an altar call. It cannot be the raising of a hand. It cannot be pulling your car over on the side of the road. The foundation of God building your life is your confession. That's where it all begins. He wants you to confess him as the son of God. So don't let anybody, whether it's a religious system, anyone, draw attention away from Jesus who's the builder. He's the author. He's the finisher. Remember, Abraham was waiting for what? A city whose builder and maker is man. Was that what Abraham was waiting for? Remember our study in Hebrews? No. Say no, church. You got it wrong, pastor. He was waiting for the city whose builder and maker was God. God builds. 
He's the architect. We don't want to be a part of something that's man-made. We want to continue to learn to die to ourselves in those areas where we're man-made, where we're leaning on our own understanding. Or as shared as we send out a missionary today, a man plans as a woman plans her way, but the Lord directs her steps. We have our plans and our desires, but God, if he's going to build our life, we've got to go with the flow of what he's doing. Trusting him along the way. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church on this truth. That's how people come in, by confessing that I'm Messiah. And as we survey the book of Acts, and just reading the Bible, let alone this one verse that's misinterpreted and misused and misapplied, as we survey the book of Acts, we find that Peter was not the rock upon which the church was built. In the Jerusalem church, it would appear that James was actually the leader. In Acts chapter 15, as they were all battling, who had the final word in Acts 15? James did. Over and above Peter. Peter submitted himself to the elders of the church even though he was a leader and an elder of his own right. Peter even submitted to Paul the Apostle when he was caught living a hypocritical life. He isn't a man, nor did he create an office that has absolute authority that can never be wrong, even though they're wrong. The Pope is wrong thousands of times over the years. Our current, the current Pope is in, he, he's got some weird, weird unbiblical beliefs. That simply cannot be substantiated by the Bible. That the Bible cannot be open when you, some of the things he's been saying and doing. The office doesn't exist according to God. And no man stands as absolute authority over the church. No man save Jesus Christ. He's always the absolute authority of the church. Nobody can speak, as it's said today, ex cathedra, where a man can change what the Bible says. And I want to warn you, if you do take along this path just to explain this one verse, there will be a great temptation for the person you're trying to explain it to to appeal to church history and say, well, the people in church history, um, they kind of went, some of them went along with it. Well, if some of them went along with it, they were wrong because they too went against the Bible. Church history does not take precedent over the Bible. The church fathers does not take precedent over the Bible. And you appeal to the church fathers that most resemble the Bible. Because even the church fathers were infallible. Just like you and me. One day they'll look back on our life and they'll be able to go mistake, 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 mistake. Hopefully it's not that big, but little, little mistakes in our lives. And I think one of the big surprises of heaven will be when we come there and we find out what real, true, biblical theology really was. You know, we have all these little infightings in the church and you agree this and you agree that and we have these little denominations and all that. One, one, in, the, in the sight of God, the church, the real church, there is no division in the real church. <laughs> we're all one in Christ. There's one faith, one Lord, one baptism. We're all, but when it comes down to us, we have all these little skirmishes and we'll be surprised on what side of the skirmish we really were on these non-essential things that we've wasted time arguing about. Peter being the Pope is not a non-essential. It's important to understand that Jesus Christ did not build the church on Peter. He's not building the church on Peter, but rather the saved soul that confesses Jesus Christ as Lord. 
If you were, let's just say you were, if you were to build the church on the foundation of a man, Peter probably wouldn't have been in the top 10 people to pick anyway. But he was just a man serving the Lord. And as Jesus was building his church, he did use Peter greatly. And it is encouraging because we've been learning that by the grace of God, Jesus will use any of us. It's only by the grace of God. And it was Peter, after he denied the Lord, remember Jesus sought him out. He loved him so much. And he found him and he encouraged him. Can I share those encouraging words with you before we head out today in John chapter 21? I just wanted you guys to be reminded or maybe for the first time, you guys listening on the radio, uh, listening to this in another state perhaps, or part of our church family online, I wanted to remind you or maybe teach you for the very first time who Peter really is. Because we can relate to Peter. It's too bad that he gets a lot of attention for the mistakes that he made. But let's look at the other side. Notice John chapter 21. I love that about Jesus. After he fell, Jesus went after him. Jesus is always looking after the lost, the wandering, the hurting, the straying, those that have stumbled. Notice verse 15 in John 21. Jesus says, when he had eaten breakfast, he said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Don't you love that? How many times did Peter deny the Lord? Three. And how many times did Jesus give him a personal opportunity to reaffirm his love for him? Three. I love that. Jesus loves to meet you and me where we are. He just shows up to exactly where we are. And he gives Peter a chance to look him in the eye and go, you know I love you, you know I love you, you know I love you. And there's a little play on words here too in the Greek where finally Peter, Peter's just met exactly where he's at. Do you love me? He says, man, you know I love you. And here he is, Peter, the same guy, that affirmed his love three times, he's writing a letter about it 30 years later. It is God's will for you to continue on for 30 years following him. It's God's will for you to walk with Jesus 40 years, 50 years, however many years you have to live, it's God's will for you to follow him, for you to get up, for you to feed and tend and care for people in Jesus' name. What's the difference in Peter's life? Well, not only was it a personal and time with Jesus, but he was also, remember, in Acts chapter 2, baptized in the Holy Spirit. He was empowered from on high. This isn't a Peter in his own strength. It's a Peter empowered by the Holy Spirit as we come to the letter of Peter. This is one that understood his power. It's one of the most encouraging before and after stories in all the Bible. The work of finished work of God. A man, a woman who's anointed with the Holy Spirit can do awesome and wonderful things. And here's what's interesting to me. God, he was able to take Peter's weakest point and strengthen him there. He was able to identify that weakest point. He took him as he was, brought him to the point of surrender, 
and then rushed in with his power and his strength. You know, sometimes we'll say, and we've heard it said, God will not give you anything more than you can handle. If anyone ever tells you that, ever again, you look him in the eye and say, you unbiblical liar. No, don't do that. I'm just kidding. It's not true. That's not true. God would not give you anything. Everything in life is beyond what you are able to handle. And some of you, as I look out to the room today, have been given and tasted things that are overwhelmingly unable for you to handle. Oh, I understand the heart of the matter. I even understand the nuance, but it's just kind of given flippantly. Well, you know, God will never give you anything that you're not able to handle. Well, what kind of God is that? How will we ever know your need of the power of God if you can always handle it? If God just stops short right here or he stops something, just stops it short. You know, go ahead. Go ahead and give that piece of advice to Job. Job, just want you to know, Job. God won't give you anything. What do you mean God won't? I, I can't handle this. This is beyond my ability. And the scripture that's used is one that's very common. It's no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but with every temptation, God gives a way of escape. The way of escape is trusting him. The way of escape is acknowledging that the temptation, the difficulty is overwhelming you. You're unable. Oh, Peter, you know, he's telling all the disciples, remember, um, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you guys are all going to desert me. No, if everybody deserts you, it won't be me. That was Peter's weakest point. What he thought it was his strongest point his confidence, his loyalty, his commitment was actually his weakest point. And Jesus told him that. I'm telling you right now, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me. I'm just letting you know, where you think is strong is actually your weakest point. Where you think you're the strongest is the place you need to depend on more. Often, what God allows into our lives are things that we cannot handle. Why? So that we could come to the end of ourselves, which is a very scary, difficult place. Some of you are fighting right now. God bringing you to the end of yourself. You just resist and resist and resist. And it's getting harder, isn't it? It's not getting any easier. It's getting harder. And you're losing joy. And you're losing peace. And you're losing confidence. And because every time you're resisting, you're not spending time with Jesus. With every resistance... You know, and then because you have to still be in a family and you still got kids and still have a church family, you put on an air of spending time with Jesus. You have an appearance. You have, how, how are you doing today, brother? Doing great. Doing fantastic. And you have an air of religiosity about you. But the reality is, is that what we see on the outside actually isn't reflective of you not spending time with Jesus. Because you're resisting and resisting and resisting instead of taking the way out. What's the way out, Ed? The way out is admitting your weakness. Admitting that you're weak in that area so that you'll be in a position to receive the strength of the Lord. Let me just say this. God does not want to strengthen your weaknesses. Jot that down, note takers. God does not want you to strengthen, does not want to strengthen your weaknesses. He wants to become your strength. He wants to become your strength. You could even say it this way. God does not want to strengthen your weaknesses. He wants to weaken you to the point where he is your strength. Where his grace is sufficient for you. 
where finally after three times of asking God, remove this, remove this, remove this, God says, no. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. My strength is made perfect. So as we jump into the letter of Peter, and he's writing to hassled, struggling, under great persecution believers, he has a credible testimony. He has a credibility about him. He is the messenger that God chose to inspire by the Holy Spirit to speak to us about how to respond in tough times, how to rise up in difficult places, how to choose. See, it's so counterintuitive being in the difficult season we're in right now as a country, as a world. It's counter of what the world's message is. The world's message is get stronger, get stronger. And God says, I'm trying to weaken you in the place where you think you're strong. I'm actually doing the opposite of what you're doing. I want you to be weakened in the flesh. I want you to be weakened in what you perceive as power. I want you to be weakened in the control that you think you have. Why? So that I can make my strength made known through you. It's the exact opposite of the message of this world. It's the exact opposite of the message we might be carrying where we want to make a name for ourselves and we want to succeed and we want to be known and we have all these ambitions and goals and all the while God's saying, hey, I love the ambitions and goals, but do it in a place of abiding because otherwise you're going to deny me. I'll never deny you. Think about that. If Jesus was here today, some of you, all of you guys are going to turn on me when it gets really, really hard. And here we all are. No, you know, we're all quiet. And then there's a Peter in there. Not me. And he runs up to the stage. All of these will deny you. But I won't deny you. And Jesus is like, man, you have no idea how bad you're going to deny me. You have no idea how far you are from me right now. And of course, he could also say, you have no idea how much you're going to learn from that failure. You have no idea how much you're going to understand my strength from now on, Peter. You will never, ever be the same man ever again. Trust me. And as we face difficulty and unfairness and injustice of all sorts, family injustice, economic injustice, friendships, you name it. Being a part of this world, Peter is going to give us the wisdom of God to remind us that the pathway to God's strength is our own human weakness. So read ahead. We'll cover a few more verses next time. Thanks for joining us on this Thanksgiving Day edition of Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. He's been First Peter chapter 1. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, turn to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or you can listen through our app, too. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. We're also on Apple Podcasts. And if you take a brief moment to write or call, that would make our day. Let us know the station you're listening to and if today's study was a blessing to your life. We'd also love to pray for you. You can email us through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com by clicking on Contact. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Suffering is Never for Nothing by Elizabeth Elliott. 
Maybe you never realized this before, but there is a link between suffering and love. God's love for us is evidenced in the sending of Jesus to carry our sins on the cross. He faced the ultimate pain of suffering, but through it all, won the victory on our behalf. This truth has led Elizabeth to say, whatever is in the cup that God is offering me, whether it be pain and sorrow and suffering and grief, along with the many more joys, I'm willing to take it because I trust Him, because suffering is never for nothing. Request a copy today by calling 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it through our e-store at calvaryco.store. You know, your generosity helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. We're constantly hearing from listeners that have been helped and are growing by God's abounding grace. Thank you for standing with us. Making a donation to the ministry is easier than ever through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Once again, happy Thanksgiving from all of us at Abounding Grace. Come back tomorrow when Pastor Ed Taylor will pick up where we left off in 1 Peter. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.